A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, the Steve Coogan derby between Norwich and Manchester City's ends with a bigger shock than Alan Partridge's return to primetime TV. Meanwhile, someone needs to call the RSPCA as bad-tempered Londoners take their frustrations out on Wolves and Eagles. Watford unleash a 31-shot salute on Arsenal, who continue their stuttering start to the season. And, in more surprising news, it looks like Manchester United are getting quite good at defending. Plus, a Champions League preview, pantomime villain Neymar, and the future of FC Barcelona. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by, of course, as always, it's Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? Oh, I'm starving. Oh, no. I know. This is what happens when I wake up early. I just can't keep up myself, like, you know. We're recording at 20 past 11. <laughs> I know. I'm still, I woke up at 7. Did you go in for 11s's? 11s's. Yeah. yeah, you know, I used to make fun of people who have early lunches. You know, I'd be like, oh, my God, just calm down. But now I'm one of those people. Did you have your chocolate cake this morning? I did with my nice cappuccino. That's it. It's It's been a glorious morning. Good. Good. Wasn't even allowed entry into the Telegraph studios. Come on, come on. We've we've got off on the wrong foot, but it's all going to be all right. Alongside Mina. It's JJ Bull. How was your weekend, JJ? You had a week off, didn't you? I had a whole week off. It was fantastic. Wonderful. I, I made great use of it. I bet you did. <laughs> yeah, I played lots of video games and played lots of football. <laughs> <laughs> I played football yesterday. That was good fun. Yeah, how did it go on? Uh, we lost 3-1. It, uh, it descended into a bit of a punting match by the end of it, but we did okay. We're a lot better than we have been recently. Completing our lineup today, it's the boy wonder Sam Dean. Are you in good spirits, Sam? Uh, yes, I wasn't yesterday. I was uh, feeling very ill yesterday, but I'm back up, ready to go, rehydrated, good. etc. Bring good. It on. Glad to hear it. Well, let's start with Norwich City, who stunned Manchester City on Saturday. Eight players out for Norwich. They were forced to have two goalkeepers on the bench. 18 to 1 odds to win before the game, and they came away with a 3 2 victory. How did they do it? Um, should we start with City? Yeah, let's start with City. Um, I think the <laughs> fundamental problem for them that they've got is, uh, is the John Stones, Nicholas Otamendi duo. Um, I was looking at some of the stats, and they only started three league games together last season. And one of those was the defeat at home to Crystal Palace, which I think was probably City's worst performance of the whole season. Uh, coincidence? I think not. Uh, and in the previous season, obviously when City won the league, got to 100 points, they only started together once in the league after January. So 
Pep Guardiola's clearly decided in the last 18 months or so that as a pair, they're not quite up to it. And I think this was pretty resounding proof. I mean, the third goal in particular, when Otamendi got caught on the edge of the box by Buendia, I mean, I mean that was just like beyond school board fending. It was just, it was just horrific and uh, like the lack of awareness. And, and I think in, individually, those two are both obviously very good defenders and they're both you know, extremely expensive and have come with massive transfer fees and have done well in, in long chunks for City before. But I think together... There's a lack of uh, a lack of composure there and a lack of leadership, which um, it's obviously the absence of Amrit Laporte is really highlighting now, and that seemed to be the clear the clear area of weakness for them. Another absence was Fernandinho, of course. Mina, is this what happens when City don't play Fernandinho? They're more exposed at the back than they would be otherwise. Um, it's really nice that we can mention all these things like Otamendi and and, and um, John Stones, and we can mention the the absence of Fernandinho, which is important by all means. Because there are things that he knows how to do and see potential dangers that perhaps Rodrigo hasn't yet managed to figure out yet. And it's still the beginning, although he had a very good game with the ball to his, at his feet, but cannot perhaps yet offer what Fernandinho has been able to. But the truth of the matter is, is that, let's be honest, it's a, count, it's a, it's a fast side that plays vertical football and overloads and has, what, five players attacking at all time. And what happens to City when they face teams like that? And I feel like they've done it. Monaco did it in the Champions League. Liverpool have done it repeatedly. We've seen Wolves do it last season. This is the side. We've seen Lyon do it. When you hit them with pace and you hit them fast and you, you know, it just seems to be that they take so long to find their organization and get back into shape at the back. And it seems like, you know, we talked about, Mourinho was talking at the start of the season when he's a pundit about how like teams expand and compress. And he mentioned Manchester City as a side that do that well. And they do do that well up until they face sides that are very vertical, who understand how to press, who play a little bit more of that German style of football. Of course, Norwich are being led by a German coach and I think that when it comes to compressing again and finding that ability to sort of become once again this team that's you know compact and strong at the back they struggle against sides like that and they've done that in the past of course it doesn't help when there's lots of individual errors and so you know I mean you know what can he do about I mean it was very interesting to see the the reaction from Europe to what John Stones did and the reaction from the English papers as to John Stones saying like he wasn't at fault Otamendi was also ridiculous blah 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 but at the end of it you know why are you passing like that you know and you know that Norwich has three players on you there's so many fundamental errors that you're taught as a young age for example the the way that he has positioned his body structure Otamendi is one thing the fact that you're passing it like that you know horizontally in your own box I've got to totally disagree with that Really? Yeah, it's Otamendi's fault. He took too long on the ball. It happens a lot. It's, it's it a, is Otamendi's yeah, fault. It's Otamendi's fault. Johnstone is fine to pass that ball. Absolutely no problem with that. Otamendi had to go backwards to Ederson quickly and he could have cut it away. It's, that's dead simple. He won't do that ever again. Uh, I but think, hold on. So you're saying that Stones is completely absolved of all of it? Yeah, he's made a pass. That's his, that's his option. He was across mm-hmm. the box from him. It's a fine, it's an easy pass. Otamendi takes about two seconds longer than he's doing the ball. Okay. Uh, like, and then it, it, and he gets caught from behind. And if Otamendi just passed it, first time like he normally does they would have isn't that something fine. that you're taught when you're younger is to never pass the ball yeah, naturally in your own area no but no they're staying playing like out from the back within their own area they do it a lot they always do it across the across the goal because then you're against a team they, that has three players right in front of you yeah they weren't right in front of them they were they were closing them down Otamendi mm-hmm. took a second or two seconds too long 
Like I understand what you're saying, and you're you're right if they're right on them, but he he wasn't. Otamendi just takes too long on the ball. It's an individual error. It's his fault. It's his mistake. And I don't think it's John Stones' fault. I think both Otamendi and Stones need a player next to them who kind of leads them along. And like Laporte can play with either one. A company can play with either one. But on their own, on as a duo, they're a little bit. Um, there's errors in both of them and the other ones can't make up for it. Since I think this is what we were talking about. Like, sorry, just to interrupt. Because no, no. it's funny because Gazetta was writing a report about this guy, Sports World, right? Uh, yeah. this Sky Italia were chatting about this in their show. And they were saying that while Otamendi is, you know, cannot be absolved because his whole play with that game was ridiculous. It's also a fundamental mistake to make that pass, knowing that there's a potential that Otamendi might not know that Buendia was going to be no, on No, but him. he has to because he's got an easy pass back as well. So normally he would just pass that back and his body shape's not too bad. He just takes forever on the ball. Another thing, like, I don't know when Man City's defenders are getting so much hassle for this, right? So the goals, the first one is a goal at a corner Outswing to the near post, which is something City keep conceding. It's a problem. Guardiola said so in the post-match. Raheem Sterling was a zonal marker on the corner of the six-yard box. He jumped for it. He was too small. Couldn't get the header. McLean scored. So that's the first goal. The second goal is a turnover. Man City have six players defending the ball, and Norwich have two on it and two just running in behind Kyle Walker's at fault so he's playing them on side by about 10 yards mm. it's his fault Stones, his fault, Stones yeah. not Mendy have a good line they're absolutely fine again absolutely no problem that's at why all Stones didn't think there was going to be a problem there he just didn't realise that Walker was well, so it always deep. happens with fullbacks and, and I think Walker has done this a few times as well and he's tracking I think it's Cantwell's going through and he's tracking him and he should be in line with the centre-backs that's Walker's fault an individual error again and the third goal is Ottomani taking too long on the ball silly and a silly error from I think a very but good defender but you're saying we shouldn't go be hard on the defenders I think, I think it's an odd thing to say that you don't see the hassle you don't understand the hassle that well, the they're just saying like, like Man City's defenders are dreadful Fernandinho wouldn't let that happen that's not the case Otamendi just takes too long on the ball it's that one I'm mistake sh- I'm not sure I was saying that Fernandinho <laughs> being there would have prevented that mistake but that is an odd mistake for a team of that calibre to make and, what about and the, the communication that's a sleepy mistake what about yeah. the communication in all of this you know like Stones had no, no idea okay I understand that when he let Timo Puki go forward but what about about being like, hey, I'm here behind you. Why, where's the communication in the team? But you watch it. Stones has the ball. He passes across that like they've done a million times. Ottomani takes too long on the ball. Like uh, it, that's just the, that's the error. It was but, sleepy. It was a silly mistake. But the fact is that they, they keep happening with those players. I mean, Ottomendi has <laughs> since Guardiola came in. Ottomendi has made five errors leading to goals. Stones has made three. The rest of City's outfield players, according to Opta, have made two between them together. Yeah. I mean, these two are by a mile the most sort of damaging, dangerous players in the team. And it's clearly, obviously, positioning plays a part in that because they play at the back. So Yeah, and it's the way they want to play more. with Guardiola as well. It make, put them in positions where they can make these errors. And that's what yeah, the thing where they would maybe want another centre-back, which is something that it sounds like they looked at in the summer but they didn't get. And then obviously losing the port is a big yeah. problem. But Man City defend very, very well as a team. But you can't, you can't do anything as coach when your players make individual errors like that and you can't Okay, so do you think that it's Laporte who made an individual okay because this was something that Guardiola mentioned as well so sorry Tom I know we have to move on but I have to figure (laughs) this out with him Um, okay Laporte exposed against Son in the Champions League yeah do you Uh remember that and that was something that he pointed to as another error that can happen even with a great defender like Laporte yeah but do you think that the system over allows them to be exposed so often in these stages? You don't want your defenders to be 1v1, but also if you are 1v1 and you're good enough uh, and, you're, and you're on the ball, then you're able to play out and get yourself up the pitch and control possession. And don't forget how good Man City be in the Premier League. Like They know what they're doing, but you will get these mistakes now and again. But it's something that you learn over time, and maybe Laporte in a couple of years wouldn't have the same 
it would make the same error again. You have to, you know, you learn by experience and by coaching. But doesn't Guardiola's tactics always leave defenders exposed? And I'm not talking about just now. I'm talking about Bayern as well. Uh, m- maybe, but then the whole point is that he wants to control the the game and the ball in a different way. So you, by doing that, he actually makes his team far more dangerous. It's very risky for a team to push that high up to try and make the mistakes. Norwich did it well. It's in same thing that Leon did. They 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 they, they press high, but they defend deep. There's quite a lot of space between the two. But Man yeah. City aren't as good at. Um, at counter-attacking is like Liverpool and whatever mm. um, so that's that's one thing and they just got it right and they took advantage of individual errors I think the thing we can all agree on is that there is an awful long way of the season <laughs> left and you know clearly every team is going to make mistakes at some point but the thing that interested me about this game Sam was even at 3-1 a City comeback felt inevitable and certainly when they scored the second <laughs> goal it's like well I've seen this film before did the fact that they didn't get a result or even a draw here uh, feel significant to you? If they lost a certain something perhaps this year, are they beginning to look a little bit more permeable to you? Well, I think we've we've not even mentioned Norwich yet. And obviously mm. Norwich were brilliant. Um, and their sort of combination of energetic pressing, which is obviously their style of play, but also when they had to, they were defensively dogged and, and really organised and, and structured. And I think that City's inability to break them down as much comes to that as as anything else I mean I wouldn't read too much into it from a City perspective but I mean so many of Norwich's players really sort of excelled I mean Ibrahim Amadou for example coming in at centre-back he's a lone signing who's also more of a midfielder and he was phenomenal and I love um, I love Todd Cantwell as well playing off Buki mm-hmm. I was um, I was talking to I don't think he'd mind me saying this at all but I was, I was at an, an event with Tim Sherwood recently um, former Villa and Spurs manager of course and Premier Nor- League Premier League winner Norwich player as well of course yeah and he was saying that three or four years ago he saw Cantwell playing in a youth team and he immediately got on the phone to Spurs and said you've got to got to find this guy got to take a look at him and try and bring him in and at the time he wasn't really that well known he wasn't playing for the, the England youth team surprised stuff. Spurs are taking Tim Sherwood's calls to be honest I think it was David <laughs> Pleat was still taking <laughs> either way they didn't act on it obviously um, and since then I mean Cantwell wasn't even that much of a regular last season I was looking at he didn't start that many games last season particularly second half of the campaign and he's come in this year and he's just exploded and the way he sort of led the fight along with Pookie is a really sort of testament to that. I have to say though, yeah, I've been very critical of Norwich because obviously their defending is the stuff of nightmares for me. But I thought that their attacking game is so good, uh, was so good, especially against, and I do think that it has a lot to do with the kind of tactics that you can deploy against Guardiola's teams. Uh, I know we disagree, JJ. Um, But (laughs) I, I thought that they really do deserve a lot of credit for the way they played, the fact that they didn't feel under pressure or scared in the same way that Arsenal did against Watford. I understand that, you know, and and I thought that they really do deserve a lot. And I do think, weirdly enough, with, with Guardiola's team, is that it's not just the defending that was poor. I think that in attacking, they're usually so much better with their combinations on the lateral sides, and they didn't really have that going. So it just seemed like they were kept, kept crossing and... And I thought Norwich did so well to stop them doing anything there. I Norwich think... remind me a little bit of uh, Blackpool <laughs> oh, in 2010-11 when they came up and they weren't a good side. The players on paper weren't enormously talented, but they, they bloodied some noses. They played quite attractive football under Ian Holloway, of all people. And uh, they almost set a precedent for other teams coming up to say, look, you can be a little bit more expansive and, you, and this is a way that you can get results. And it set the tone a little bit and it, it almost brought the Premier League out of a bit of torpor at that point where it had become very much dominated by the big four then. And I wonder if Norwich are onto something quite exciting. We've got to move on mm. and let's move on to Chelsea who dished out a thrashing against Wolves winning 5-2. Wolves yet to win a game this season. Is this a classic case of a team who've taken on a little bit too much by being in the Europa League. They've won all of their games in the Europa League. 
it surprises me that this is always so much of a problem for teams, seemingly, that would they just buy some sort of squad players and rotate a bit more? But it just seems to be weighing very heavily on Wolves, their involvement in Europe. Well, I think that's actually the issue that they are rotating more now. And last year, their last year their success was built on such a small core of... I mean, famously, they only started 18 players in the league last year. I mean, it's remarkable how sort of few players that Nuno actually wanted to use. And this year, because of obviously the added commitments in Europe, they're having to change that. I mean, they've made 10 changes to their starting lineup in the opening five matches. It took them 16 matches to make 10 saves last season. So they're making a lot more... You know, the team just looks different more often than it did last time. And I think that's clearly affecting sort of some of the solidity and the sort of organisation that made them such a difficult opponent last season. And you looked at sort of Vallejo playing at centre-back in his first game in the Premier League and he really struggled, didn't look great. And Ryan Bennett was left out of the squad entirely. Willie Bolly was obviously suspended. Um, and they just looked like a lot more flimsy version of, of Wolves that we came used to last season. And I think in particular, Connor Cody, who was, he's a massive leader of that team. He's, he's by all accounts, a, you know, a, a top guy. But he got bullied by Tammy Abraham for at least two, at least two of those goals. And you look at that and think, "There's your captain, the, the the central man in your back three, and he's getting shoved around here." It's not, it's not a great sign. But um, as you say, they've won all the games in Europe, and it's going to be an adjustment period to play more games at a higher level. So I wouldn't write them off just yet. Great game for the Chelsea young English core. All their goals have been scored by them. Uh, Tamori's, who's played for Canada at youth level, we should say as well. Especially, what a goal that was. It made me say a very rude word when I was watching it much of the day. His first ever shot in the Premier League. Wonderful from Tamori. This is good news, isn't it, JJ, for Chelsea and for England that they're, they're giving these players a go and they're, they're seemingly rising to the challenge. Yeah, it seems to be that they're just absolutely ready to play. Um, Abraham is definitely ready to play, it turns out. Mason Mount did, has done very well so far. I think, I don't know, everyone's points towards um, Chelsea being a bit hamstrung by this, this uh, transfer ban and everything, but... Uh, it looked like Lampard was always going to try and play these young boys, and they've done very well. And they're keeping other players out of the team. It is, yeah, it, they deserve to be Matt in Law there. tweeted about it, didn't he, yeah. saying that actually it's Lampard's choice to play Mount ahead of... I'm trying to think of who Mount's playing ahead of. Come on, JJ, sort me out. <laughs> uh, Pedro, probably. Pedro, Pedro, lovely. Pedro, yeah, yeah. 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 It's just, it's, like, Those guys. <laughs> I, I like how like, Lampard says he wants to be uh, adaptable, and he's you know uh, trying to get this team the way he wants it at the moment, and he, he went to mirror Wolves, which is something that they don't like playing against when teams set up the same as they do with a back three. Um, Tomori was shockingly good. Love taking the ball into the other half. I've not seen him play before, so that was nice. Uh, yeah, I think... It was just great, and the weird thing with Wolves as well. I agree with this Europa League thing, where you you just can't get can't quite get your momentum going in the Premier League. But other teams must just be more aware of them now. They've a lot of them have played them twice last season. They know what to expect. They know where to look for them and what not to do. I think that's why they keep trying to change. I think they're trying to evolve out of what they were. I, they were the kind of team that it's like if you consider like Nuno Espirito Santo is like almost like a poor man's Conde. It's an exhaustive tactic that he uses. It's a lot based around intensity, closing down opponents very quickly. They were quite slow in closing down opponents. Um, Chelsea really um, this time around, and you could see that maybe physical exhaustion as well as mental exhaustion can get you down. So he's trying to rotate, perhaps evolve the tactics so that they are better at keeping the ball, better at doing things that they weren't have so good at doing last year and I do think that that can be a little bit more exhausting but I thought Tammy Abraham in particular I was quite I honestly didn't see this coming from the first game against United I was like "Hmm, let's see you know and when we were talking about the kids I was like okay let's be honest United are far ahead in terms of their youth but I think that the way that Mason Mount is playing the way that Tammy Abraham the intellect on that boy um, the way that he he can see where to score where to shoot I thought that it was 
such a great performance from them. Love that mix of highbrow and lowbrow there, I mean, the intellect <laughs> on that boy. You normally say, oh, he's got a good engine, but oh, he's got a good intellect. Marvellous to hear that. It's, it's funny, Abraham, because I, and I've, I've, I've not seen enough of him to be fully could, uh, mm. fully convinced in what I'm about to say, but I think the uh, I think the assumption looking at him is that he's a target man. He's going to hold the ball up, you know, similar to Giroud with a bit more pace. But he really struggled to do that against Man United in the first week, as you said. I mean, I remember we came in here after that first weekend and were really critical of him. But he actually seems to be, uh, if his height sort of is deceptive in a way. If he was five for eight, he'd be like, oh yeah, that sort yeah, of fits the way sure. he plays. Like he doesn't play like a, a tall man. Whereas, you know, the look of the way he sort of stood up Connor Cody, then just knocked it past him and buried it. That was sort of a sharp, quick, agile striker. He's not by any means a... A traditional target man, I don't think. I still want to see them against like a top, top of it, like against a Liverpool and see how they adjust and how mm. strikers more than anything. I want to see how Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham would do against them. I think right right now they're playing opponents. I mean, Wolves were just terrible and they've been terrible this, this whole season. Otherwise, before that, it's been teams that have just come up or newly promoted. So I want to see, like, it, it's too early to take too much out of this. On the subject of Premier League thrashings, a first big win of the season for Spurs against Palace. First win of any kind for them since the opening weekend. Is this the corner turn for them now, Sam? Um, for now, for now. I mean, the whole issue this summer, as Mauricio Pochettino has said, has been the sort of disunity in the squad, the concerns about who might be going, the rumours who's going, the contracts running out. And in his own words, the closure of the European transfer window has drawn a line under that and they can sort of, you know, build on that. They looked a lot livelier, yeah, a lot but, more smart. January's not that far away um, and all those issues are going to come back up again in January um, with Ericsson, obviously, his contract's running out and all the other issues with Vertonghen, Alderweireld, etc. So it's not going to be happy camp forever, but at the same time, they looked like old Spurs again. And so, I mean, obviously, Palace have got a good reputation for going to places like Spurs or big teams and defending well and defending deep, but... Some of the space that Son and Ericsson and players like that were enjoying in the first half was just like madness to watch. It's more, yeah. It's more. Yeah, it's like, surely you've got to close those gaps down <laughs> yeah. of all the people. Like Ericsson is someone you have to get close to. If you'd watched him, um, like the way that Newcastle did it or whoever's played Spurs at the moment, so I was really surprised by how high their line was. It wasn't particularly high. They weren't at that halfway or anything like that, but it was. they were kind of in between being a deep or a, or a, or a high starting line. And uh Spurs were far more than I've seen them so far this season, hitting balls between the lines like instantly. Mm. And they were finding space between midfield, which I think is a lot to do with Ericsson being there. Um, I thought Sissoko did very well, and Winks was really good as well at getting it forward. And because they were so direct with that passing, they were then able to get the next pass straight behind, and they were in behind uh, Palace. And they didn't adjust it until bit, well, it was too late. They were already shipped heaps of goals. Mm. But it was a, a very surprising from Crystal Palace because I thought they would come there and do a job. Yeah, yeah. and I, I was really surprised by how long it took him to, to be like, okay, well, there's obviously a clear problem here because yeah. it's taking the same route. But I really do want to say that I was quite happy about with Sergio Aurier's performance. Yeah. And he, was, uh, he was superb. Superb. Yeah. And I was like, and he, this, guy, this guy had such like high expectations when he arrived. And I was like, I didn't understand why he wasn't playing. I know that he's had some issues with attitude problems as well, apparently anyway. Mm. But I, I just thought that that performance was interesting. Also with Crystal Palace, you also noticed that there wasn't really that much of an outlet for a pass. So even if you wanted to control, like, did you see that there was a, um, is it Van Arnhold I think at the time is trying to like what? throw, throw in throw in thank you wow. <laughs> I was like oh my god wow, what's Mina. the word the intellect on her <laughs> <Yeah>. honestly <laughs> it's just completely Sam, Sam. Sam Dean has been cancelled wow. we regret to inform you wow Sam. big 
A big a diss. <laughs> an actual diss. Anyway, the, the throw-in, though, and I don't know if you'll agree, Sam, but mm. basically there was just nobody there that was willing to accept it. So he had to go backwards. And I think this was the problem with Crystal Palace. It was so strange. It was like nobody really wanted the ball. It was like, let's concede as much space as possible. Why not? You know, and I just thought it was such a bizarre performance. So I don't know what to make of it because I don't want to say, oh, Spurs a bag. I just thought, what happened to you, Crystal Palace? Mm. What about Arsenal, Mina? Gwendouzi goading the Watford fans at 2-1 up. Uh, with 23 yeah, minutes was left to play. Not wise, not a wise move at all. Two all in the end, of course. Watford had 31 shots in this game. I want your verdict, please, Mina, on Arsenal's defending. <laughs> I don't, I'm scared of JJ. <laughs> I've got a whole bit on this. I think he's on, oh, I think no. he's on your side this time. Um, listen, I, I think that, okay, so the defending is abysmal. I do feel sorry for Emery because what are you going to do with someone like David Luiz and Socrates, and Socrates who passes out like that from the back? I do think if you want to play out from the back, it's it's so interesting. You should watch La Liga and how all the teams do it over there because it just seems like there's a lot more courage when players are surrounded um, by other their opponents. They it's, know how to take the ball and quickly release to the right. It's making teams look so idiotic, this new rule about being able to be in the box for goal kicks. Like Just, just know when to use it know the players you've got it's it's appalling seeing some of these teams try and do this at the moment yeah I, I just think there needs to be a lot more sort of training when it comes to that but barring that I mean I don't know what to make because like Gwendouzi once again it's like he's surrounded by four players there was one point where he was surrounded by four players he's trying to make a lateral pass and it's like he can't and he panics. And I just think that, you know, Emery needs to give them the confidence to, you know, try to find the pass forward. Other people are coming in to help him giving an outlet for the pass. So I do feel sorry for them. But at the same time, it just looks like the team is so scared. I thought it was interesting because Gina said in, in Match of the Day that he thinks these players think they're better than they are. And I would disagree wholeheartedly with that. I think they're actually terrified. They don't seem to know what they're doing. They don't seem to feel the support of the team around them. And I think that there isn't, genuinely like a great work ethic when it comes at the back because they're not willing to sacrifice or help one another so I actually don't think that they're overly confident I think that they need to be trained better and, and I'm worried about them there's a fundamental there's a couple of fundamental issues with this um, uh, first of them is the midfield I mean you, you face 31 shots not because your defenders are bad but because your midfield's got no control um, playing Granit Xhaka on his own at the base of a midfield diamond is as we've seen more than once this season a dangerous, dangerous thing to do because he just hasn't got the legs to cover ground. And players like Decore and Capoue, what they do best is cover ground. And exactly, Jacques, why Jacques... not change from the diamond midfield after you score? Well, two? exactly. And the th- Arsenal were hugely lacking control. And the two players who are best at providing that in that team are Danny Ceballos and Meza Özil. And he took both of them off, um, which I found to be quite. Lucas Torreira. Mm, Torreira's had a thing is Ceballos and Özil are the sort of players who, in in Emery's words, can break a press. You know. They can take the ball under pressure and turn out and play it and keep it. And they did that for a good a good chunk of the first half and also looked quite good briefly. Uh, he took them off, which I found really bizarre. And the other fundamental problem, and this is almost, I think, sacrilegious to say this, considering he's clearly their best attacker and scores all their goals, but Aubameyang is not the kind of striker to hold the ball up. Mm. And yesterday you saw they were so desperate to pass the ball out from the back because they can't go long. And if they go long, Aubameyang gets, gets eaten up. He doesn't hold the ball up. He doesn't... You, look, you think about classic sort of strikers who will win a free kick and relieve some pressure. That's not Aubameyang's game. He's always on the last shoulder of the man. Of the, sorry, he's always on the shoulder of the last man trying to get in behind and drifting out wide and finding space. He's not the kind of player who the ball sticks to. 
So it meant that the ball just coming back, coming back, coming back, and the pressure just keeps mounting. And when you've got Xhaka running and his legs aren't covering the ground, it just all adds up to this nightmare situation where they get overwhelmed by a team like Watford, who are bottom of the league. Well, uh, I went right through this game to try and find bits um, and pieces. So I think there's a few a few problems. There's individual errors which are caused by problems with shape and defensive positioning. Uh, and you can see them all in the the, the last goal. They can see the, 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 the penalty. So... They, they, they were playing a, a diamond four three one two. As was, I think, mostly kind of anonymous as he, as he usually is in these sorts of games. Yeah, uh, Watford uh, were much better in the second half because they came out aggressive and they moved their line to halfway and they were right, right up to to Arsenal. I think they were actually marking a man to man like an open play, so they had no way of being able to play out for the back and doing this. There's no way that pass should have gone to... Um, well, Socrates should not have been trying to play that to go forwards to Gwendouzi. That's obvious. But what they should be doing... This weird goal kicks thing where they're playing it inside the box. The whole point that you're able to play it from the back before is because your centre-backs are so split that automatically you had loads of width straight away and the midfielder would drop in between them. So you have a, like a triangle to play so that the goalkeeper can go to that, that player, the six to be able to turn and pass but now there's no width between the two centre-backs and that six so you can't play that pass Emery's playing a box midfield anyway so he's got uh, two uh, two midfielders that come to drop to try and take him off anyway right but when Arsenal go forward so they can see this penalty by going on the attack they are 2-1 up having made that that terrible error they're struggling to keep the ball and I don't think it's I know that like better teams will be able to move it better through the lines when they are coming out from goal kicks but being pressed that well by Watford who are really fired up that second half uh, it's no mean thing that they couldn't keep the ball as much as they would would have done normally that they were losing it in silly places wide as well but they changed from that diamond midfield to a 4-2-3-1 and that's why he took off Ozil and, uh, and Ceballos he moved it to a 4-2-3-1 because they were constantly uh, they had no natural attacking width all the width had to come from the fullbacks who weren't able to get forward. When Klasnach did, he was leaving loads of uh, gaps behind. Maitland-Niles didn't want to get forward either because they were getting pressed so high. So by moving Aubameyang central uh, and then Pepe out to the right, you're supposed to have Nelson out in the left. There's natural width. So you've got a pass down that left channel to be able to play that ball and you can move it forward and get out of that hole. Uh, Nelson did exactly the same thing that Aubameyang does and moved inside the pitch. And you can see when Arsenal attack, they're in a 4-3-3, actually, the shape they've got. Uh, and Nelson has gone inside the pitch near to Aubameyang. Klasnach is way too far forward. Klasnach drops back to where he should be deeper on. And Arsenal have five players in the Watford box uh, as they try and get a, a goal away. As the bottom position turns over, that then leaves Xhaka on his own, really far back with defenders behind him. And that's it. That's all they've got on the pitch. And uh, it takes two passes from Watford to go past that. Xhaka tries to cover for Maitland-Niles by going out to the wide right when he should be staying in the middle. So that's the defensive positioning error caused by them being all out of sorts at the top. Then as that ball goes through, Watford comes through and Pereira is on uh, the wide right of Arsenal's defence. So again, the space that Kalasnach has left by being out of position. So Pereira comes, Jan Mats sees it, overlaps on the right, which means that um, Kalasnach has to get back and David Luiz comes back to help him out. Luis sees his overlapping run and points and shouts to Klasnach to follow Jan Mat's run, which is the right thing to do because they're 2v2. It's exactly how you do it. Luis drops in, narrows the space. Uh, and the, the clever thing Pereira does is he dummies the pass. And Luis steps in to block that. Again, the right decision. But Pereira's faking it. Drops inside. And then uh, Luis's trailing leg catches him and, and fouls him. So it's, it looks like Luis has made a stupid tackle to foul him. Uh, but that's because he's trying to block the pass which looks like he's going to do he's been done by a bit of individual skill I'd say by Pereira which is all brought on by uh, poor defensive positioning 
Uh, poor game management by being that far forward. Nelson not adhering to tactical instructions and then being all out of sorts. Spoken like a man who did his coaching badges this like, summer. <laughs> Let's continue now with the rest of the Premier League. James Ducker, our Northern football correspondent, had the honour of watching Manchester United versus Leicester. Here's what he made of it. There did not appear to be a lot of optimism from Manchester United fans going into Saturday's game against Leicester particularly with the likes of Pogba, Martial and Shaw missing. But Solskjaer's young side came through that test with a vital win ahead of what's a difficult run of games with Arsenal, Liverpool, West Ham and Newcastle looming. It wasn't pretty, you know, and I'd say even in victory there are a lot, there were plenty of questions to be asked, not least around United's lack of creativity in the final third. But Solskjaer will have been pleased with the way they saw the game out after dropping points in the second half against Wolves and 10-man Southampton. Harry Maguire in particular delivered a dominant display at the back for United in his first appearance against Leicester since his £80 million move last month. The England centre-half making light of the torrid reception he got from Leicester fans. And there was another mature performance from Scott McTominay in the United midfield. Along with Maguire, he was probably United's standout performer on an afternoon that, in the main, showcased precious little creative attacking quality. It was probably a missed opportunity for Leicester. Yes, like United, they're a very young side, but they'd started the season well and they'll no doubt have hoped for more. They disappointed a little, despite enjoying the lion's share of possession and never really asked enough questions of their opponent. This felt like a significant result for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Sam. Uh, potential banana skin, Leicester, but United had enough about them to get it done. Yeah, I think that'd be quite encouraging that, despite having a weakened team against an impressive side like Leicester, they sort of got, as you say, got it done more than more than in, rather than being spectacular. They were, you know, solid, and they've now got the joint best defensive record in the league, which is. Um, uh, probably not what you'd expect looking at their... Yeah, all down to Harry Maguire, who was fantastic. He was very good, as was Scott McTominay, who did really well. And, um, I mean, I must admit, when, I, when the teams came out, I looked at the United squad and, and their bench in particular and thought, I can't remember a less sort of illustrious United team in my lifetime. I mean, it was just, just terrible. <laughs> the, the sort of management of, of, the, of that and recruitment over the years. And obviously there have been a few injuries. With, Talking about Fred's with there. Out. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, look at the bench. Phil Jones, Fred, Romero, Greenwood, Gomez, Tuanzebe, Chong. I mean, a lot of them obviously very young and talented and got good futures. But this is Man United. I saw that team and thought, what is, you know, it really sort of drilled at home for me how, how things have changed there. But then they performed quite well. And as you say, McTominay and Maguire are quite a sturdy, solid sort of core of the team and that's clearly uh, very important for them going forward. Andres Pereira also had a better game than usual, which is something to note. I quite like Marcus Rashford through the middle. I think his pace is one that will always earn him penalties through the middle. I know that people love to say, well, he, he's better out wide or it gives him a different edge, but I do want to see him being played more in the middle because I think that he was quite thrilling. Um, other than that, I just feel like it's penalties that dictate United's games. You know, it's either penalties not being scored, penalties being argued over, or penalties winning the game. But Leicester weren't very good either. No, Rogers uh, being criticised a little bit for too much rotation, but perhaps that's just what we all expect in 2019. Liverpool, 14 wins in a row. Now, Firmino's assist for Salah, possibly the sexiest moment of the season so far. Do you make them favourites for the title, JJ, at this point? Uh, I, it's, I mean, it's too early. I'm not going to pin any colours to Amas just now. But I think you've pinned your City colours to the Mars pretty conclusively over the past Mars. couple of years. Take <laughs> <laughs> your really? T-shirt off. You have to appreciate how good they were. Uh, how Liverpool, good they were not this week, though. I think Liverpool are, uh, obviously, they're, at the moment they look, they have this air of invincibility about them. 
And um, I, I wonder if it'll be that Man City are focused far more on the Champions League this season than they are the league. It must be hard to maintain that every single year going for the league title. Liverpool look good, but wait until January, February when Klopp's teams tend to have that little bit of a dip. So that could be a thing that happens. Uh, they just look very good. And <laughs> like they're just I've really been, good. I think that Firmino is just essential for that team. Yeah. I think that he is so good at just creating. His, ta- his passes are always well-timed. He allows having two two runners and two scorers in the way of having Salah and, and Mane and then having a guy like Firmino who's happy to deliver, happy to come back deeper. He's just so smart in the ball. He offers, offers you a different um, different edge. But other than that, when, it's funny because we keep waiting for Liverpool because I said, you know, over the summer, they were all, the, the front three were all engaged in summer tournaments, whether it was the Africa Cup of Nations or obviously with Brazil and Firmino. And it just seems like I just thought, you know, there's going to be a stage where January, February, they'll tie around. But there's also reason to believe that the excitement of potentially winning the Premier League might just push them on. And if City, like JJ says, continues to worry, like, you know, think more about the, the Champions League, then there's every reason to believe in them now. I think Firmino it is probably their best player. And it's it's weird how um, important it's, it, he is, considering how... Um, how much of the press and attention that other players will get, like Manny and Salah and stuff. Mm. But you saw that he changed the game. And the weird thing is that he only came on because Origi got injured. So that's why he came on in the first half and helped them turn the game around. Whereas I think you see the similar uh, influence at City with Kevin De Bruyne, who didn't come on until the 60th minute, which is probably what Klopp would have done here if uh, Origi hadn't been injured, brought him on at the 60th minute. And by that time, they might not have had enough uh, uh, an opportunity to turn the game around because um, Newcastle would have so basically both shot. of them are caring about Europe because they don't want to bring on the players to lose them to injury in the way that certain other teams have but lost but then Firmino played midweek he, he was in Brazil playing against Peru I think on Wednesday I think so that's pr- almost certainly why because it's the early kickoff where he didn't play him from the start Whereas yeah. De Bruyne could have played, could have played against Scotland. It was because, easy because Kevin De Bruyne <laughs> should have played. From like you could see that Gundogan wasn't going to do what Kevin De Bruyne did for City, and then you thought when you Pep talked about it afterwards, and he's like, "Well, considering all the injuries around, I wanted to keep De Bruyne healthy." And yeah, and considering what happened to him last season, it's very important to manage his his game load because you can't have him getting injured because you can see the influence he has. I think we should also have just a very brief word about Fabinho, who is, I mean, obviously he has such a such a, such a slow start to his Liverpool career, but. In the last few months, in particular, I feel like this season he's just been like phenomenal, and the amount of counter attacks that he just shuts down by just sort of nipping in and just sort of prodding the ball away before Newcastle could turn it around. It's just yeah, I think he's he's come really to the fore as, as Liverpool's sort of most important midfielder now. What about the team on the other side of Stanley Park? Can't really work out Everton this year. Callum Wilson with an excellent goal to clinch the three-one win for Bournemouth on Sunday. But what do we think of Everton? Is Marco Silva doing a good job? I think they're doing a perfectly average middling job as <laughs> yeah. kind of seeing all season and all last season. There's nothing special about them. They if they don't turn up with the most passion and most intensity of a game, they're gonna end up drawing it or losing. I don't think they have good enough players to take them up that level. Like Fabian Delph, Alex Awobi couldn't really get into the first teams of their other clubs who are above them. Uh Sigurdsson is not playing well this season. Their striker was Calvert Lewin, who is the most medium of strikers. Like fine, does a job, works hard, but is not a boy to take you to the top four. And their team, the players individually, are good enough to keep them in the top ten. That's about it. So I think they're getting exactly as much as they should be. Yeah, but then I just feel like then I I do think these players are bad, but I think that you know like considering that the passing was terrible at times, it was either over hit or not, um, or just you know they're just badly timed. They sort of stopped them scoring goals. They exposed them at the back. 
I know that they're not great players and they are doing just an average job. I get that. But there was just one thing that Antonio Conte once said when he took over Juventus, who had finished seventh. And he said, unless we run 200 kilometers every game, then we're just an average side. I do think there's a lot of talent in that side. And I think that there is a, a case of motivating motivating them a little bit further because you're know, developing more of a connection. I will be in wise I can. There needs to be more of a connection there because the passing isn't that great. The chemistry isn't that great. And I do think it's on silver to try to motivate the side to do a little bit more than just achieve mediocrity. It may be not, you know, be, it's not beyond them. I know that they're average players, but I also think that there is enough talent there to at least expect better performances. Finally, good win for Southampton, I thought, up at Sheffield United. Looks like they're improving a little bit as the season goes on under Hassan Huttle. There was, of course, a disallowed goal from McBurney, disallowed for offside. Uh, quite a quiet weekend for Joel Grove. Start the clock. VAR. <laughs> Nothing to say. Brilliant. Stop the clock. Fantastic. <laughs> Let's move on to the Champions League, which begins again this week. Chelsea, surely, Mina, comfortable at home against Valencia, who aren't having a great time of it. Oh, I just, Valencia were a superb team and I use the the word were because under Marcelino, they had, he was the best manager in the last 11 years. He's just been fantastic. He's managed to finish in top four twice in two seasons in a row and they won the Copa del Rey last season. So to sack him is nothing short of madness. This goes to show you everything you need to know about Peter Lim's management of Valencia. It's just crazy because they wanted to sack the sporting director. All the fans, everyone protested and Marcelino said, I'll walk if you sack the the sporting director. They kept him and instead sacked him. And you just think it's a matter of days before Alemani also walks away. But they are a good team. I know they conceded quite heavily to Barcelona over the weekend. I don't know what to make of Albert Salades, who is their new um, coach. He's the former Spain under-21 coach. He obviously doesn't have the experience or the love from the fans that, that Marcelino had. But they're still a t- tough team. They still have very good players, especially when it comes to receiving the ball. Uh, they have a lot of courageous um, ball players there. And it'd be interesting to see what happens against them. Bring back Gary Neville. What about <laughs> Liverpool? JJ, they're away at Napoli. What can we expect there? Um, I think Mina would be a much better place than me to talk about Napoli because I don't know anything about them this season. Uh, okay. Or Sam Dean. Sam's got his hand up. They've bought Chucky Lozano, mm. who's... Uh, was really fun at the World Cup you remember last year he was the really quick Mexican winger and they spent about what 40 million euros on him is that right? Yeah the highest ever and obviously Liverpool lost in Naples to Napoli a year ago so there's a bit of a potential revenge in the air there but um, I mean I went to Naples uh, for Arsenal's Europa League quarterfinal last year For the pizza uh, or the football? For the football Right And I was really Did you have a pizza? Uh, I think I did (laughs) Then both Uh, obviously, I was working the whole time, Tom, and I yeah. was stuck behind my laptop you the entire three days. You need a work at the same time. Yeah, and um, they weren't very good. I was really disappointed with them. And you know, Wait, Arsenal, when? Uh, against Arsenal in the quarterfinal of the Europa League last year. Oh yeah, they really tailed off at the end. They just sort of disappeared a bit, and they were sort of a bit like just flimsy. Um, yeah, they did beat Liverpool uh, in the Champions League last season, so there's a bit of yeah, bit of beef there. And I think. This should be quite a good game. It's obviously a difficult place to go. No matter, I don't, no I don't think it's going to be that difficult this time around. If you tell me last year, I would have told you, yeah, but I'm a little bit worried about the centre-back partnership of Manolas and Koulibaly because I think that Albiol is obviously not as quick or perhaps as, as excellent as Manolas has been, but he does offer a lot of restraint, a lot of tactical in, uh, intelligence, which allows Koulibaly to be unleashed. But with those two together, there's not much discipline there. And the team keeps conceding a lot of goals. They won 2-0 against Sampdoria because Sampdoria is hideous at the moment. But I'm worried about them as well. 
Man City play Shakhtar Donetsk in a Champions League game we're all very sick of watching at this point, <laughs> uh, which yeah. you'd expect to be a Man City win. Spurs going to Olympiacos, probably quite a tough test there. But again, Spurs mild favourites. Where else should we be looking, Mina, this week? What's the pick of the games elsewhere? <clears throat> Atletico versus Juventus. Yeah. Yeah. PSG versus Real Madrid. Portugal's present slash past against Portugal's future. Mm. Ronaldo v João Felix. Yeah, and, and this was a great game in the ICC, just to, you know, <laughs> just to let you know. The old favourite. <laughs> and that's number one. Yeah. Let's stay in Europe now and enjoy a song for Europe. Muchas gracias to David Dozi, Miguel y Titch with their lovely piece of Spanish music, which producer Joel Grove is going to have to find for us after we've recorded. Uh, tell me, Mina, about <laughs> Anzu Fati at Barcelona. 16 years old. I know. Got a goal and an assist in six minutes against Valencia. How excited should we be about this player? Oh, we should be very excited. The youngest player to produce a goal and an assist in his first start for Barcelona. He's obviously gotten a goal before. Messi is obviously unavailable at the moment. And he's just been... He's so interesting to watch. He's good off the ball. He's good on the ball. He's um, He's got a lot of confidence himself, but he is also willing to help the team. And I just think that to do all of this in seven minutes against Valencia, it's not against anyone. It's not Levante. It's Valencia. And so they have to have managed that, which means that if he scores, by the way, in the Champions League, he's got a year to get a goal. He'll be the youngest goal scorer in the Champions League as well. And a truly exciting talent. He's already broken records that what well, in two games that Lionel Messi needed 13 games to break so it's he's a kid that we should definitely look forward to watching more of what about Neymar at PSG booed until he scored an overhead kick winner in injury time for them uh, is... uh, yeah. <laughs> there was a bit of that by the way <laughs> how much longer can he stay there will he will he last a season I think there's no other option because who's willing to come in and pay the money? Because right now it's really Barcelona that want him. They didn't submit a formal written letter until the 27th of August. Um, so despite them saying, oh, yeah, we're coming for you, they never really did. Um, Messi sort of spoke about that in his interview. But uh, it's whether or not anyone has the money to do that. It's caused a lot of problems, a lot of rifts in the dressing room, knowing how many players were like being offered in exchange for Neymar. So I think that the best they can do right now is to just leave that alone, at least for the year for Barcelona. Madrid's not going to come for him. So I think that he's stuck there and he's trying to make the best of it. Presumably, if Barca signed uh, Neymar, what would happen to Fatty? He wouldn't well, exactly, have to the yeah. first team. And what would Dembele do? What about Dembele? I mean, it's too many. It's too yeah. many guys. And then I don't they know why they signed Griezmann. He just basically plays in all the same areas. He plays Suarez while he's available, isn't it? I just find I it. I think if they were good, they, if they really, they should have let go of Suarez, but they weren't because Messi loves them. What about in Germany, Mina? Are we going to have a three-way race for the Bundesliga title this season? Yeah, absolutely. Only because Julian Nagelsmann, who everyone says is a mini Pep Guardiola, um, is now in charge of RB Leipzig and he's a man that Bayern passed over so he's always been touted as being a very good coach I have my reservations about him but either way he's undefeated this term and they managed a 1-1 against Bayern although if you watch that game Bayern was like superior in the first half they were excellent to watch and it was interesting how they changed formations um, this was RB in the second in the second half and uh, changed to a four-man back line rather than five at the back, and they had a lot more impetus to control the midfield, and they were much better. 
Dortmund, of course, under Lucien Favre, is always a threat. So it'll be interesting to see who wins that. Still hey, not as exciting as Serie A. No, of course not. Which we've got no time for. Ah, <laughs> oh, no, don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't want to talk about you, though. They couldn't even score past Fiorentina. Let's finally put this to you. We put it to our friends on Twitter. Ronaldinho, out of retirement, age 39, to play for Colombian side Santa Fe. So our question to you, audio football club teammates, is which noughties hero would you most like to see play again? We had a response from at Marv147, big snooker fan, which simply said Paolo Maldini or Roberto Baggio. Now, Mm, I would not associate those players with the noughties, and I think he's just trying to impress you, Mina. (laughs) <laughs> what, what's your answer, Sam? Naughty's hero, uh, Gooty. Mm. I loved Gooty. I, when I in uh, in dark moments of my life, I uh, often find Gooty assist compilations on uh-huh. YouTube. Um, he's got two back heel assists, which I would the, the second the, the famous one for for Benzema against Deportivo La Coruña is I would suggest the most aesthetically pleasing goal in the history of football. Um, <laughs> it's just the best assist you'll ever see. So um, yeah, him for me. Good, well argued, Mina. Who have you got? Uh, I don't know, maybe give Cannavaro to Arsenal. Um, but otherwise, I would say that uh, McAuley is one of he was one of my favourite midfielders to watch, and I wish that he was back playing. Oh, gone defensive, Mina. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> what about you, JJ? Mm. Uh, I would say the original Ronaldo. I mean, oh, was, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was one of the decent, best players ever. Yeah. Decent player. Yeah, he was decent. I mean, Ronaldinho uh, is great, so that, that, that he would be my choice had seemed, he not already... seemed to be a spell where Ronaldinho was just playing football with his heels, which was really <laughs> enjoyable. He'd he just was go whole so games good, man. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was just really Beckham? fun to play with. And uh, mm. I don't know. You could think, like, Messi broke into the Barca first team in 05-06, so it's weird thinking how long he's been playing for. Mm. And he'd have, have him again. Just imagine his career started all over again with all... All the different ways we can watch football these days. You'd love that, wouldn't you, JJ? I would love that. You chose Guti out of all these guys? Oh, yeah, but that's because he was flawed. You guys chose geniuses. I went for the flawed flawed man. (laughs) He had weaknesses too. He he wouldn't wouldn't fit in the modern world. Mm. He'd be like Urza at Arsenal. He just wouldn't really, you know, where would you you play him? It wouldn't really work. How would you press with him? But in his own little way, he was great. Do you see yourself in him, Sam? Yeah. <laughs> the Maverick. Yeah, yeah. I'm the journalistic equivalent of QC. That's a lot for this week. You can contact me on Twitter if you want to before next week's show. I won't be here. Look forward to being in the company of Mina Razuki. My name on Twitter is at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget to send us an email to afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. We will read out the best of what you send us. Why not leave us a review as well? Five stars on Apple Podcasts. That's all we ask. If you can get the code word intellect into your review, we'll definitely read that out as well. Don't forget to subscribe to Telegraph Audio Football Club while you're there. Just search for Audio Football Club. You can do the rest. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons. Thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. 